series, Perils of Publishing. I'm your host, Paula Proxton. We've been talking with John Charles Park and Peter McGavin of the University of Pittsburgh about their experience on coming up with the idea through publishing their paper, Anxiety Evokes Hypofrontality and Disrupts Rule Relevant Encoding by Dorsal Medial Prefrontal Cortex Neurons in the Journal of Neuroscience in 2016. Today, we'll hear how John Chol and Vita selected the journal for their paper and what advice they have about how to select the right journal for your papers. So for a young person, number of publication really does count. Another thing that counts is how well a paper is cited, liked and cited. So for promotions, tenure, Tenure committees actually count the number of papers you have published, and they look at they look at the H index. They look and see how often the paper has been cited. So if you've had a Glamag paper that has been cited five, 50 times, let's say, compared to paper in a specialized journal, let's say, in our case, Journal of Neurophysiology, or an excellent journal like Journal of Neuroscience that has been published, that has been cited, 500 times, trust me, this 500 times citation way, way trumps the 50 citation, even if it's in science or nature, let alone the lower glam max. Based on that, then I, my suggestion is to really focus on quality of your work and getting your work out there, presenting your work. And if you're active in social media, really, really putting it out there so people notice it and people cite it and people read it. My own experience based on years and years is, has been that my mostly hided cited papers that are over 500, one actually is over 1,000, they've been in journal neuroscience or specialized journals. So I, I have personal data to back up what I was saying. Having said that, the, the reality for the young generation is that they hear that to get good positions, they need to have publications in these glam mags, and I think that's that's the problem. So I would say if you think we have a chance to get papers go out to review in those journals, give it a try. But if it doesn't go out to review, understand the fact that that is just one or two people making the decision that this study is not flashy enough. And so that's just one or two people. It's not the entire field. You need to be resilient. You need to you need to really respect your own work. You need to like and respect your own work. Believe in it. And then even if you have to go through several journals, just put up with it. And if you really like it, if it's really good work, it will be noticed and it will be cited. We started talking about the role of the cover letter in the process of submitting a paper and whether a good cover letter is necessary for the high-profile journals, the glam mags, as Peter calls them. For journal neuroscience? I usually have very short cover letters, just one paragraph, and it was very straightforward. So I would say, in my opinion, no, because it was very straightforward. I think the abstract was written well enough that I felt that the reviewers will see the abstract. For the glam mags, yes, it was much longer explaining to them why it's clinically really important to understand how anxiety impact ongoing behavior as opposed to just looking at what anxiety does to an animal in an elevated plus maze. And I guess that has been my love of journal neuroscience in that I, I always felt like the editors, because they are senior scientists, that uh, they can appreciate that the study is, is relevant and you don't have to write long cover letters to convince them. 
I asked Mina Cavallo from Cell for her advice to authors on selecting the right journal. Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. I think I think you know when when authors think about where to submit their work, they can think you know about their audiences. They can think who are the audiences that they want to uh, may want to target. Who who would be the people who would be primarily interested in their in their work? For instance, are your audiences broader? You know, or might they be more interested in specific aspects of the paper? I think one helpful way of thinking about how to choose your journal to which to submit may be to, to actually look through a variety of journals and to see what kind of articles they publish and to, to see whether, you know, there may be a fit between what this journal published and the type of paper that you, you know, that you wrote. So, you know, cells a very desirable journal to publish in. So what, in your opinion, are some of the things that make a successful cell paper? Like the authors that do publish in cell, what are, what are the kinds of things that make their papers stand out? Hmm. Well, we publish very diverse papers. Some papers stand out because they can have a conceptual advance, which is very exciting, you know, and it's really appealing to the broad community papers that, that may be picked up really very broadly, really beyond the specific, say, field that they may be anchored in. Then there are other papers which are really important because there may be some a very important advance, maybe more technical advance, that's going to help very broadly the scientific community move forward with their own work. Other papers can really resolve long-standing questions in the field. So I think cell papers come in all shapes and forms, and it's difficult to say, you know, what are the most, I don't know, successful papers, because I, I think there are, you know, a lot of wonderful papers, and we're always excited when an issue comes up, or when we are preparing an issue, and, you know, we are going through through our list of papers and just feel, oh, wow, you know, this is, this is great, you know, and there are so many reasons to say, oh, this is great, and that's just, <laughs> that's one of the wonderful things about this job, actually. Another thing I think that is really helpful is thinking about the use of the cover letter. A cover letter is actually a very, very helpful part of a submission for editors and for authors as well, because this, the cover letter is really your opportunity to bring across all of those things that you thought maybe you can't express really well in the dry scientific language that people use in the introduction. That's your chance to, you know, get out there and to say, hey, you know, this is really what I'm really excited about the paper. In plain language, you can give some background there. You can say, okay, these are some of the aspects that we knew. This is what we are really doing. And and it's it's really up there, up front, and it's telling you a story in your own words. And so I think a cover letter is actually quite a powerful kind of add-on to the submitted paper. I asked Jim Knirin, reviewing editor for the Journal of Neuroscience, about selecting the right journal for a paper. I guess the best advice is to try to be realistic about where you think it, you know, what journal it can get into. Everyone wants to publish in the high-profile journals for obvious reasons, and you know, my lab too. It's important for people's careers and such to to get into high-profile journals. But at the same token, you have to have some realism, I think, about what what level the paper can go into. You know, there's nothing wrong with shooting high, but if it's not something that really has a chance, then and oftentimes you can get advice from colleagues and so forth about that. It's, it's just going to delay everything and be a very frustrating experience otherwise. 
and that depends a lot also on the type of journal. Some journals have you have to go through this triage process. So you have to get it past the first line, which is the editors of the journal. And if they don't think it's exciting, you know, it'll get it'll get past that first line. But then the reviewers get it, who are going to be more hardcore skeptical, and it could be a problem. So that 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 that's the balancing act, which an experienced author, experienced investigator will will know how to walk that that tightrope so that would be just one piece of advice is to especially if you're a young person writing your first paper for the first time uh use your more seasoned colleagues as, and, and get their advice on how to how to how to, how to walk that tightrope because it can make make a major impact i asked Katja bros from neuron about the role of the pre-submission inquiry some of the journals including south press journals have a pre-submission inquiry process I asked Katja under what circumstances authors should take advantage of it and how they should go about it. That's a great question because I think a pre-submission inquiry can be a really powerful tool for an author, but I think often people use it wrong or, or non-productively, shall we say. You know, what, what a pre-submission inquiry is first is something quite simple. I mean, it's essentially contacting the journal of your choice with a letter, often it's the abstract. Uh, many authors will include the abstract and then maybe a bit more context for the paper, such as you might provide in a cover letter to the editor that essentially asks them, you know, how strong a candidate would this paper be for your journal? Would you be interested in reviewing this for your journal? Some authors may have other kinds of concerns that they might want to communicate with an editor, but essentially it's a, a communication with an editor prior to submission. And one notable thing about a pre-submission career is, is at this stage, you can ask whether they'd be willing to review your paper. There's no commitment. It's prior to formal submission. You're not limited in how many journals you approach. Uh, most journals have some form of pre-submission career. The format may vary. Some, some it's as simple as sending an email. Some it's maybe more of a form that you fill out. There's some journals that may take all their papers only from pre-submission inquiries, so you you're required to do one. But the bottom line is you can contact a journal and, and basically get some preliminary feedback and feel out how enthusiastic they are about reviewing your paper. I mean, it might be, yes, we'll review it. It might be, no, we don't think it's a strong candidate. It might be in between. But you're not limited in, in just approaching one journal. When you submit, you're absolutely limited. So you, it is unethical to submit to more than one journal at the same time. So that, I wanted to make that distinction clear because I think in that sense, a pre-submission is really a great way to feel out the right journal for your paper. Now the question is sort of when to do a pre-submission inquiry. And some people will send pre-submission inquiries when the paper is written and it's already formatted for the journal and maybe they're just about ready to hit the submit button and they send a pre-submission inquiry. That's probably not worth your time unless you're going to be trying multiple journals. But at that point, if you formatted it for one journal and you really want to submit to Neuron or whatever other journal of your choice, just go ahead and submit it. I mean, at that point with online submission, it's just easier for the editor to see the whole study. And there's no real advantage in getting that feedback, you know, a couple hours or days before you submit. One thing that I wanted to say in advance is that there's certainly many aspects of the review process at, at Neuron, and, and most of what we do at Neuron is, is basically identical or very similar across cell press, so journals like Cell or Cell Stem Cell or Cell Reports. So there's parts of the process that I think are true across many, many journals. I expect Journal Neuroscience handles things not so differently, but there are also processes that are that are very distinct to the individual 
style and kind of practice of that journal. And I just wanted people to be aware of that because sometimes I think people think that, you know, of the thousands of journals that all journals handle things even kind of process-wise exactly the same. And that's just not true. And I think it's worth knowing where there are similarities and differences so that you can also decide, you know, what style of editorial handling fits your preferences because um, not all journals are alike. And right now, I think it's a great time to be an author because there's so many choices of different journals but also different editorial styles and philosophies. So that's just my caveats in advance. Where I think a pre-submission inquiry can be really useful is two examples that I would give. I mean, one is you're done with a study and you're just trying to feel out, you know, which journal it might be right for. And maybe you would, you might even consider adding a little bit more to the paper one way or the other, depending on which journal might have an interest. So this is kind of months back, so you haven't yet written the paper. That's a great time to contact the journal. Well, you know, one, they can tell you whether they would be interested in reviewing it in the first place. I mean, so often... If we see maybe that there's some kind of issue that we might predict to come up in peer review, that's something that we can give you information on and you can choose how to address that either by thinking about the formatting or maybe you would do more experiments. But it, you're for, far enough back that you can both kind of make changes before you submit and maybe even make changes in your decision about where to submit. The second place where I think pre-submissions can be really useful is even a step back from that. Was maybe you're at a juncture for your project and you're trying to decide, well, maybe I should like close out the story now and submit it to a journal or I could do more work, you know, I don't know, months more work and it would flush out the paper in a different direction. That's another time that you can get feedback from an editor. And again, it's far enough back that you can alter your, your choices and it's not so close to submission that there's no real value. That's what I would suggest authors think about is just pre-submissions are great, but they're, I think they're better used at earlier stages in maybe the writing, formatting, or even sort of starting to put together your paper as opposed to when you've already got the paper ready to go. So at Neuron, we're, we're a relatively small team of professional editors, and we're editors all day and all night. Uh, we don't have academic labs. Um, this is our only job, and um, our, our role is basically guiding manuscripts through the review process and making decisions at, at Neuron. We would each day receive from our, our journal associate, who's our admin support, an email that indicates all the papers that were submitted that day. And we meet as a team, and we divide up those papers across the team, and each paper is then going to be assigned to a handling editor. And you as an author would, you know, fairly soon after submission be notified who your handling editor is, and that would be the person who really is guiding the paper through the review process at Neuron or Cell Press. That person is going to be interacting a lot with the team and with, with me as editor-in-chief, and really, um, while they're the person who's shepherding it through the process, they're making the decision on behest of the whole, the whole team. And so I, I say that because I think sometimes authors very rightly so, have great concerns about which editor is handling their papers. And certainly at Neuron and Cell Press, I mean, the individual editors are all very important, but they, you should know that there is an entire team behind those decisions. It's really not one individual who's, who's you know, going rogue on a decision or anything like that. But that editor is going to handle it through the process. And they will, at that first stage, take the paper and, of course, read it. They'll read some of the literature around the paper. They will have access to our database of all submissions and decisions and so have a view of how 
reviewers on similar papers that we've reviewed have kind of reacted to some of some of the issues. I mean, sometimes there's big parallels between papers. Sometimes there's some intuition that an editor has to bring to bear. But bottom line is we have a history of kind of how the field has set standards for all the papers, and that comes into play when thinking about where your paper, when you submit it, might relate to the, the editorial criteria that we and the reviewers have set for Neuron. That first stage, the editor, again, spends some time reading the, reading the paper, reading the literature, and the first stage decision is really whether we think we're going to review the paper in the first place. And this process, I think a lot of journals refer to as editorial triage, some form of editorial decision on review. Some journals still send out most papers. Some journals send out you know, a very small proportion of papers. At Neuron, we try to be fairly generous in what we send out, and we're sending out these days uh, around 50% of submissions. If the editor thinks that the paper would be a strong candidate for review, so the topic is interesting, the question um, that the author is addressing is seems important, and the paper seems you know roughly technically well done, we're not at this stage evaluating it as a reviewer, but we're really looking at kind of big picture experimental design issues. So in other words, if, if the editor thinks that both in terms of kind of the impact that the paper may have on field and the technical quality, it's a good candidate to get reviewer feedback on, we would then send it out for review. If we feel like the paper, for whatever reason, it could be one of the scope or the advance or even, uh, you know, technical gaps is not a good candidate, that we think it's just not going to do well with the reviewers, so it won't be a good use of the author's time and it won't be a good use of the reviewer's time, we would then write a decision letter to let the authors know that. And the decision letter would, in brief form, usually describe the reason why we're not moving forward with the paper. In some cases, an author may be able to remedy that, but in some cases it may not, it just may not be a good fit for the journal and that that's the recommendation is that the author would move on. So that's that's the initial phase of the evaluation the editors and the editorial team would take in deciding what goes out for review. Mina told me a bit more about the process the paper goes through once it's submitted to the journal. Once the paper has been submitted, typically we, we as editors meet once every day and we are going to look at the papers that have been submitted within the last 24 hours and give a, our individual inputs on a conceptual level. So really, you know, based more on, on what we understand maybe from on the paper and, and we are going to give kind of our input and this, this, this may be a guidance for the editor who is going to take eventually the paper because once we give input, the paper gets assigned to the edit, to, to an editor and the editor then is going to read this paper carefully, fully, and then based on his or her read is going to decide whether to move ahead with uh, sending the paper out to reviewers or, you know, letting the author know that maybe the paper is not the best fit. If the paper is sent out for reviewers, then obviously the editor is going to look for uh, reviewers with the uh, right expertise. Then once the reviews are in, based on the reviewer's input, based on, you know, our own editorial take, you know, how we felt about the paper initially, there's going to be uh, perhaps an another discussion with the team, then we will decide know how to move forward with that paper. Thank you for joining this week and thanks to all who shared their experiences with us. In the next episode we'll talk a lot more about the review process itself, how reviewers are chosen, what happens during the process and what makes a good reviewer. 
Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or find full episodes and sign up for weekly emails at Neuronline. Visit neuronline.sfm.org forward slash podcast. I've been Paula Croxton and this was the Neuronline podcast, The Perils of Publishing. <laughs>